Okay, the reading is Luke 19, 28 through 40, the message. After saying these things, Jesus headed straight up to Jerusalem. When he got near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olives, he sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you. As soon as you enter, you'll find a colt tethered, one that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says anything, ask, what are you doing? Say, his master needs him. The two left and found it just as he said. As they were untying the colt, its owners said, what are you doing untying the colt? They said, his master needs him. They brought the colt to Jesus. Then, throwing their coats on its back, they helped Jesus get on. As he rode, the people gave him a grand welcome, throwing their coats on the street. Right at the crest, where Mount Olives begins its descent, the whole crowd of disciples burst into enthusiastic praise over all the mighty works they had witnessed. Blessed is he who comes, the king in God's name. All's well in heaven, glory in the high places. Some Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, get your disciples under control. But he said, if they keep quiet, the stones would do it for them, shouting praise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, for the spirit that has moved us for generations, the spirit that will continue to move us, and for the spirit that has moved us into this space, into this time of worship gathered together, your people, open us up. Open our hearts, our minds, and our souls to ways in which we may move differently in the world after we have been together for this time. Challenge us in all that we have been and all that we are and all that we will become to keep you at the center and to continue to listen for your cries before they scream out to us. We thank you for the spirit that has brought us today to this place and may that same spirit guide the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen. So one of my favorite um, Martin Luther King speeches is the one that was delivered uh, in 1968 here at Stanford, uh, the other America. And the key phrase out of that, this is when the riots were happening in Los Angeles. And the key phrase was that um, he said, riots are the language of the unheard. And I've always kept that with me. Whenever this passage comes up, that's the first thing I think about is that we can do all kinds of things in the world and we can focus on certain things, but at some point, the pain and justice and love and reconciliation, the things that are important to us and important to God in our lives will scream out to us and make themselves known. 
We often will think about these as jarring kinds of things, which is true oftentimes, but also that in the subtle things that sometimes God will speak into our worlds and our lives because we're not listening or we, there's too much noise around us and we have somehow failed to hear well. I think we all do that. We all have these moments and these times in our life where we focus on certain things so much that we, we fail to see the beauty and the love or the injustice and the need for us to step into spaces or into the streets. And we, we kind of move over those because there's other things that distract us. They're not bad things or not necessary things we shouldn't pay attention to, but I think it's always easier to move towards things that occupy our time or make us feel like we're being productive or they make us feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing when in fact they can distract us from what we should do and who we should be in the world. I look at you know people around me now having kids. So some of you have raised kids, some of you have not, but, but we've all had kids around us all the time. And it's easy, I'm, now I'm old enough where I look at what uh, it takes to raise a kid now and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff back in my day, right? I mean, we just kind of, it's easy for me to look back 25 years when our first child was born. To, and, and I think we had too much stuff then, but now I look at what happens now with kids being born. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can super judge you for having having too much stuff, but I did this, we did the same thing before. We like, of course we need an Italian stroller. That, I mean, that goes without saying, you gotta have that. And of course you need this little thing because the baby might not survive if you don't have this little thing to stimulate their intellect the very beginning of their life. And you gotta have this and well, of course you gotta. And I remember doing that with Ev, our oldest, as well as our middle, well, the, and the youngest was like, ah, we have stuff around still, right? I know the poor youngest kids like, yeah, what do we got left? But you know, I think, you know, I think about those times where you're, you're focused on something else and all of a sudden your kid screams out at you or cries or laughs or whatever it may be and you're jarred into remembering about this endeavor of parenthood. And that continually happens, right? We, we are, uh, you know, now we have uh, all adult children, which is weird for me to say. Uh, and now we're having different conversations about, you know, we're, we're now we're like trying not to be too, well, so what do, what's life gonna look like? What do you major? Like we're trying not to be in that conversation and just allow them to, to flourish. And, uh, you know, we, I was just uh, last week in Southern California with my kids and, it was the first moment where we were just sitting and talking with them, Robin and I, and we realized that they're smarter than us now. Like not, this is not like self-deprecation. We really, no, they're actually smarter than us now. And not just book smart, but thinking in the way that we always wanted them and hoped that they would dive into things. Like they're talking about classes and they're lecturing us on um, anarchy and like we are so old that all we see as anarchy is the purge, right? That's no rule. And, and they're talking about the breadth of what anarchy looks like these days and look diving into, and I'm like, okay, clearly you are smarter than us now. And we are now kind of just, I'm going to control what I know. Do I really want to know about healthy forms of anarchy? I probably don't, but clearly my kids are diving into this, right? They're challenging economics and capitalism and race and all of these things. And for me, 
I'm just worried somewhere in the back of my head if they're gonna be able to have a job after they get out of college. And I know I'm, that's not, like it's, it's a natural inclination, but I think that's the easy place for me to be. Like, it's an easy place for us as we're watching and caring for them and hoping for the best of them, that this is, like there's something out there that makes it so we don't worry anymore. But yet what they're saying to us is, there are other things right now that are sparking us and giving us life and our job is to listen for those things so that we don't get to the point where they have to stop and say, mom, dad, and like be the stones that tell us we are doing this. And I know you don't get it, but that's what we're going to do. My youngest, my poor kids get stories told about the one time, but my youngest, uh, Annie, uh, has had one of these this past couple of weeks. So Annie has decided that uh, she's going to get her motorcycle license. Now, for those of you that know me, I have zero room to be able to critique this because I ride a motorcycle and I've ridden a motorcycle for a while. And so when I, you're like, we're all, no, right? I mean, it's like, don't do it, right? But you know, it's one of those pieces where this is what she wants to do and we don't have any, and we're trying to balance this, this kind of intellect and, and these conversations and rationality with passion and needs and all this. And I think that's the difficult thing of life these days is to be able to both maintain rational thought about survival and comfort and security and in our society and our world, the stones are screaming out at us every day. So we turn to this passage. It's easy for us to look at this passage and say Pharisees equal bad and evil, which is for many of us as we understand, over time Christianity has turned Pharisees into evil, which is an incredibly anti-Semitic path to take. Because you and I, as we place ourselves in their space, the religious leaders caring about and understanding scripture and living that out in a way that they believe is best. Not inherently evil, more like us, that we are listening to scripture, thinking about what makes sense, challenging those things that push us and challenge us to rethink who we are. And yet Jesus challenges them as they do us. We would say here, I think in this church and in others, we don't want the Superman, like kind of superhero Jesus. We would say that intellectually. We don't want that. We don't want the Jesus that kind of flies in and just changes everything. But yet I think we kind of do. We kind of do just want to be, have something just, just happen. And so Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and everybody is really excited because they've heard this is what's gonna happen. There is gonna be the savior that's gonna come and all our worries are gonna go away and it's all gonna be good. And then Jesus begins to tell them, wait a minute, it is probably not gonna happen the way that you think it will. And you have other people beginning to say, yeah, don't listen to this guy or the folks that are around him because what they're trying to do is to upend 
what we have experienced as goodness in our life, upend the status quo, upend the things that we believe give us worth and meaning in our lives. Now, it's easy for us to look at that and say, yeah, well, you should just give those things up. But if we look at our own lives, we look at our own selves, like we know that we probably engage, each one of us, in things that we should probably give up economically, socially, how we invest in institutions. We probably know somewhere, somehow in our spirit that we need to let some of that stuff go. But yet, how many of us really want to? I like that we just bought an electric car. Do I need to do that? Does that fit within a norm right now in this, in our, in, in California and in this area of like, well, great. Do we need to? Eh. Was it feel okay? Right? These are the subtle things. It's one thing it's like, well, I'm not investing in fossil fuels and we're not investing in guns and like those are fine. But these middle ground things that challenge our very being of what we think we need and do are much more sinister and difficult. But yet, we have these things in our world that help us to not pay attention to that. What I think was happening with the Pharisees and the challenges was this debate and this, the noise of the world were beginning what Jesus is saying. We can have these conversations over and over again, and you can rationalize till the cows come home. I don't know if there were cows there or not, but I'm sure he didn't say that. Till whatever comes home. But yet, that is not going to last because the stones themselves will cry out. This past week has been an interesting one for me. Um, I have uh, been part of, uh, kind of uh, tangentially part of a, a great church uh, controversy and debate and uh, right-wing conspiracy thing uh, that has happened this past week. There's a church in Chicago uh, uh, Oak Hill uh, Church, United Church. It's a Presbyterian UC church, UCC church. And for Lent, they decided this year that they were going to give up whiteness for Lent. The idea being, like that's the clickbait, right? Is we're giving up whiteness for Lent. Is the, but their, the core thing was that they were only going to listen to music, liturgy, things written, the content generated by people of color. And they're an all-white staff. They said our music has been, generally been very European-based. And so this for Lent, this thing that has given us comfort and meaning for generations, we're going to shift that and turn it on its head. And I'm like, that is a really bold thing for them to do. And I would be totally for it, except then they quoted me. So they took a chapter from a, a, my, the last book I wrote, and they, they used it well, but then can you imagine what happened when the right-wing Christian publications got a hold of this? This church has given up whiteness, and it's all based on this, and I've been called some very creative, colorful names uh, over this past week, all based on this author, uh, this I'm called the minority author, um, and this section out of my idea about protest and what it means for us to honor protest in the world. And that, um, so apparently you did not know, but I am uh, completely supportive of violent and aggressive and destructive protests. Like I am, that is, I am, I am, that is my primary means in the world is to encourage that, if you didn't know that. Um, and also, 
I am basically um, destroying the church, uh, and that um, I am, uh, there, again, there are colorful names, which I will not repeat for the recording on the internet, um, but, you know, this left-wing conspiracy to destroy all that is good and pure in the church. Well, clearly that is not, well, I hope clearly that is not me. But I think there is a difference because they would say, and I use they intentionally, would say they would be stones crying out. That there is this need to lift up the truth in some way. But I would hope that we would not see it that way. But this is another one of the dilemmas of our world and culture today is that we have multiple stories trying to cry out. So our challenge here, your challenge as you move into the future with a new pastor, who knows when that's going to happen, how that's going to be, is to listen and continually listen for the stones that are crying out for justice and love and, comp and compassion that you have always heard. To not get tied up in, which are very important conversations, but don't let the noise of survival and comfort drown out the stones. Don't let the, the processes that you have to go through and must go through take precedence over what you have called to be here in this church. This is consistent for me. My challenge to us as congregations and as a denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA. I have never believed that we should be about survival of an institution. I've said this for over multiple decades. I don't actually care if institutions survive. What I care about is that the gospel that we proclaim makes an impact in the world and that survives. How it's formed, who leads, whatever it looks like, I don't really give a lot of energy to. But that Jesus' consistent call to justice and love, that those prevail. And so as you figure out what you're going to look like in the future, as your new leadership comes in, as, as they begin to put their fingerprints on the life that you will live together, as you step into spaces that maybe you would have never thought you stepped into before, don't let it become noise. Let it be things that nurture you and move you forward, but don't let it drown out the stones around us that are screaming out. Yesterday on NPR, Robin and I were in tears listening to the report. I'm going to cry about it now. If you heard the report of the young girl at the train station singing the Ukrainian national anthem as people joined her, it was incredibly moving. We know that last week, six people were killed in Sacramento for another round of gun violence. We know that on the border, there is immigration that's still and refugees who are being treated unjustly, that the color of the skin of refugees will determine how much we welcome them in. We know that young people in our colleges and in uh, college age are screaming out for their physical mental health. We know that we still have mass incarceration system in the United States that cares more about putting brown people away 
in criminalizing poverty than it does care about justice and rehabilitation. The list goes on and on and on. Yes, it matters who leads you. Yes, it matters how you do your work. Yes, it matters how we will structure so that we hold each other accountable and are gathering a community. But at the end of the day, the gospel that this place in particular has said it cares about is the gospel of justice. If we get distracted from that, if you or I in our ministry gets distracted by that, rest and know, though, that the stones will cry out. I just don't want to be the ones that they have to cry out to. I want us to be the ones that have heard those cries before the stones needed to cry out to us. You have done that in the past. We have been doing that for the last three years, and you will continue to do that into your future, as will I. So, two more times with you after this, but it is just a journey. It's difficult, I know, but it is a journey, and we are partners, and we travel that together. So, let us continue to listen to the same stones. Let's continue to listen to those same cries so that wherever we are and whatever we do, we are together continuing to fight for justice in the world. Let us pray. God, for your grace and the care and compassion with which you have called us into this space, we give you thanks. Continue to hold us together. Remind us of the calling upon our lives, not just in this place, but as we walk through and move through the world. God, we are resurrection people, and we are complex, and we know that we bring all that into that space, and for that we are grateful that we hold it together, and we hold it for one another. We pray all this in the name of Christ, and all God's people say, amen.